Restoring confidence in the travelling public. It used to be that people were concerned about flying due to gravity issues, the effects of positive and negative G during takeoff, landing and turbulence, as well as having concerns about the known or the untrusted, not understanding how aircraft fly or the thought of not being in control of the aircraft while flying. We all know that flying is or was the safest means of travel, but now the travelling public have a new concern how they can minimise their risk of infection. COVID-19 has fundamentally changed the lives of everyone around the globe. Many countries have experienced lockdowns resulting in limited socialising, travel, and in some cases, not even being allowed to go outside your own house or flat. So as lockdown begins to ease across the world and people hopefully begin to travel freely again, how will behaviours have changed? How will the general public feel now about travelling? It's likely they will have lingering concerns about using most forms of public transport for some time to come, particularly air travel. The opportunities for close contact with other members of the general public are numerous for a travelling passenger. Airports are naturally places of high footfall and the sequence of movements passengers have to make to move around the facility from entering the terminal building to queuing for check-in or to drop off luggage, passport control, security and so on, including then spending hours in the lounges and using the catering and retail outlets. These all present a range of challenges when it comes to reducing physical contact. And it's not just direct physical contact that passengers are cautious about. There are numerous other points of indirect physical contact to take into account, including using restroom facilities, seating, the utensils and cutlery in the catering outlets, payment devices in retail shops and so on. And as passengers move around the airport, there are other surfaces that will be touched, including lift buttons, escalator handrails and security trays. And on board the aircraft, passengers will need the reassurance that the aircraft is hygienic. There are certain hygienic hotspots the aircraft are susceptible to under normal circumstances, such as the toilets or restrooms, trayback tables and seat pockets. In today's world, a world impacted by COVID-19, cleaning regimes of airlines are going to be under increasingly intense scrutiny. So until the public feel more assured that they can travel safely and hygienically, it's possible that we'll see domestic leisure trips instead or a preference for short-haul travel. For business travellers, it's likely that their employers will be rethinking travel policies with the focus on personal safety and their duty of care. So what's the answer? How can these air travellers protect themselves and their families? How can employers protect their staff when traveling? Short of not flying at all, how can organizations mitigate the risks to their staff? We may see less business travel, shorter haul flights, and it's not inconceivable that employers will revise their policies to introduce new criteria for selecting airlines, including restricting travel to airlines which have focused on hygiene as an essential part of their package. So the challenge at the heart of rebuilding the aerospace sector is clearly on restoring confidence in the traveling public. But what challenges does the industry have to overcome to achieve this? There are several dilemmas. Infection, 
how to minimize it. This applies to the whole journey, including getting from your home to the airport, going into the departure airport to exiting the destination airport and all the potential contact points along the way, as we outlined before. Government policies. Airlines are impacted by different government policies, including some which require two weeks of isolation on arrival. So you may get to your destination, but not be able to go out for two weeks. Finance and economics. Business class is the revenue generator for airlines. Economy makes little margin, so airlines face the dilemma of getting people back onto the aircraft, but also getting them to spend, whether it's on a better class of travel or in-flight services such as catering. Let's look at the economics in more detail. The RPK, the revenue per kilometer, and load factor, which is the proportion of seats sold on a flight, are critical. The pandemic has obviously caused a significant reduction in people flying, varying between 60 and 90% or more. If the capacity is not reduced to match demand, then the load factor is reduced. In Asia Pacific, for example, demand dropped 60%, but capacity only dropped 44%, leaving a load factor of 58%. Most business models function on a load factor in the 90s. In 2019, only four airlines managed to operate commercially with a load factor below 62%. But this is below the realistic break-even point for more, most airlines. So maybe there's some financial support being applied to those particular airlines. Break-even load factors vary regionally. But in North America, it's about 75%. North Asia, 76%. Europe, 79%. Asia Pacific, 81%. So the break-even load factor range globally is about 75 to 81%. This means that most seats need to be occupied for the business model to remain viable. We need to consider social distancing and the impact on RPK. One option being espoused is to provide some element of social distancing on board by not selling the middle seats. This results in a reduced load factor and consequently a reduced RPK as well. For example, on an A320 with 168 seats, if the middle seats are left empty to provide social distancing, the maximum load factor, maximum load factor becomes 62%. The increase in the cost per passenger is 50%. On a Boeing 777 with 373 seats, the maximum load factor goes down to 60%, with a cost per passenger increase of around 67%. Note that these are the maximum load factors, so assuming 100% of the available seats are sold. The reality, they will be less, so the net load factor is further reduced. Alternatively, screens may be installed around seats to give physical separation between passengers. This means more weight, so less capacity for people or freight, more fuel consumption per passenger, so the RPK still suffers. There are logistical issues with this too, such as passengers getting into and out of the seats, including particularly boarding. Boarding time is already long and may become longer still. Then we have the in-flight restroom visits, people getting in and out of seats during the flight, stretching their legs on a long haul. And then when the practicalities for the cabin crew, serving food and drinks to people who are screened, how will they manage this? I can foresee 
lots of food being dropped onto passengers' laps, and we won't mention hot coffee. So industry needs to respond. Increasing prices would seem to be the logical solution to the economic pressures mentioned. Higher prices would restore the RPK and counter the load factor drop, but faced with the challenge of encouraging people to fly again, increasing prices may present a further barrier to reinvigorating air travel. Consequently, we may even see a price war. Ryanair, for example, has said that if a competitor airline sells below break-even, they will sell even further below that break-even point. So, has the age of treat travel gone for good? Perhaps so. These changes in RPK and load factor are not sustainable long-term. You will no doubt be aware that many airlines have received significant financial support by their respective governments just to stay in business. Examples include Air France KLM with 10 billion euros, United Airlines, $5 billion, Alaska Airlines, Allegiant, Delta, Frontier, SkyWest, Southwest, EasyJet, Iberia, Vueling, Lufthansa Group, which includes Austrian Airlines, Brussels Airlines, Lufthansa and Swiss have received 10 billion, Norwegian, 3 billion kroner. Others have received less, such as Ryanair, which has received 600 million pounds under the UK COVID corporate financing facility. Overall, airlines have received $123 billion in financial support to date. Of this, $67 billion is repayable. So pricing is going to be a real challenge when faced with falling passenger numbers and pressures on existing business models. For airlines facing some of the challenges highlighted, British Standard 65,000 Guidance on Organisational Resilience is, I would suggest, essential reading. I would encourage you to look at the BSI website and read more about organisational resilience as it applies to every business, no matter what sector. Some airlines around the world have already suffered more, having gone into administration. These include Virgin Australia, which went into voluntary administration in April. Flybe, Air Italy, Avianca, Transstate Airlines, Compass, Atlas Global, German Wings, South African Airways, which is a flag carrier, and many more. Analysts said that by the end of May, most airlines in the world would be bankrupt. IATA estimates that airlines globally will lose 314 billion due to the outbreak. But of course, we don't know how long that outbreak is going to last. So what are the key factors in recovery for the sector? Load factor down, RPK down, costs up, fewer seats sold, possibly at lower prices if there is a price war. There are multiple challenges facing airlines, but there could also be opportunities in the longer term. Influence over government policy is arguably limited. That will be driven by the need for public safety and pandemic management balanced against the other main driver of the need to restore and grow the economy. Part of this is and will continue to be government financial support to industry, including aerospace. And as mentioned before, many airlines have already received significant sums just to keep going. So back to the essential question, how do we restore the confidence of the traveling public and business travelers in the safety of air travel? What is the next normal? To rebuild and thrive in the future, airports and aircraft need to be safe, clean and hygienic. 
People need to be assured that airports and aircraft are safe places to be. And that means new ways of working in all aspects. Let's look at a few. Food hygiene, including handling, transporting, serving, cleanliness of utensils, every aspect. And this applies to airports, airlines and their catering contractors for onboard catering. Airport cleanliness, deep antiviral cleaning regime that is effective. All surfaces need to be considered. Seats, lifts, including the buttons especially, escalators, elevators, especially the handrails, door handles, any financial transaction whereby cash or perhaps a chip and pin device is used. Airline lounges too will need to adopt the same high standard of cleanliness. Arguably, cleanliness of lounges could become a selling point. Aircraft cleanliness, increased focus on cleaning regimes, taking into account the differences between short haul and long haul. Short haul operators may operate six or seven flights a day. They may clean the aircraft once a day under normal circumstances. Long haul, one flight probably per day. Therefore, they'll clean the aircraft logically after every flight. How are you going to pitch that? Minimising contact and maximising space and social distancing. The real estate, by which we mean airports and aircraft, are not designed for this. People flow systems are not designed for this. Indeed, the opposite is true. They're designed for high density, efficient flows. The layout of airport seating, which is robust, fixed seating will need to be revised to provide gaps. This reduces capacity. People don't like it if they can't find a seat. Proposals for screening off passengers on board need to be evaluated and implemented. Aircraft layouts, in-flight management and cleaning will need to be revised to cope with these. Passenger flows through the airports need to be fast and efficient with no queues, no close queuing, no unnecessary contact with people or equipment. Aircraft boarding methods will need to minimise people contact. Fill up by seat number from the back, so perhaps goodbye to priority boarding. Lead times. Arrive just in time to check in and board, not wait around for two hours. Layovers are a different issue. But perhaps layover passengers or one-trip passengers will be separated to prevent cross-contamination. This may adversely affect airport revenues from retail. And then the flight crew. Cockpit seats are fixed, probably not the required two metres apart. How can this be mitigated? A robust cleaning regime after every flight would seem a minimum requirement, not least for crew confidence, as well-performing crew need to be confident that they are not going to be infected nor with their families. So perhaps crew temperature and health screening before every flight. Airports and airlines will need to consider and plan for all these aspects of the next normal. Furthermore, there are human factors to consider. Airport and airline staff will all have been affected by the pandemic. The effects of prolonged lockdown, possibly being furloughed, concerns about redundancy, plus the ongoing concerns about their health being impacted by contact with so many people every day. They will need support as they return to work. So what might be the role of standards in the next normal? What will give the travelling public confidence in the effective application of these standards? What PPE will be required as the sector plans to restart? Where will you source it? Is it genuine? Is it effective? 
BSI has been very busy testing and certifying PPE for many years, but particularly intensively over the last few months. It's vital that your procurement teams do their due diligence when sourcing PPE. If you have a doubt about PPE, talk to BSI or check our website, as there is a lot of useful information there to assist you. Also available online is our complimentary access to BSI Screen, which gives daily updates on supply chain issues created by COVID-19, including risks such as theft, falsification of certification, counterfeit goods and so on. The role of standards for cleaning and hygiene, food and equipment is significant. Travellers need to trust the airports and airlines and to provide assurance of the effective application of standards to gain this essential trust, third party certification is key. All food handling organisations are certified to the relevant standards for food handling and hygiene. Then again, the travelling public can have confidence and they can trust they're not going to be exposed to risks. Examples of relevant food standards are ISO 22000, which is Food Safety Management Systems, HACCP, H-A-C-C-P, Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points in Food Production. And there is the BSI Catering Food Safety Standard, which takes elements of both of these and others to create a standard optimised for catering. All of these are suitable for airports, airlines and catering organisations, including the in-flight catering providers. For airports and airlines, and indeed other places of work, including offices, factories, maintenance and repair facilities, our new BSI Hygienic Programme addresses the challenge of providing hygienic facilities. For example, if an airport has been independently audited and verified as meeting the BSI Workplace Hygiene Standard, it can display the KiteMark logo as a mark of trust on its website, walls, notices, etc. The travelling public can then be assured that the airport is following a standard and meets it. Trust is established. Confidence in the safety of the airport's hygiene is reinforced. For operators, the travelling public will have confidence that the aircraft they board is safe for them to travel in with minimised risk of contagion. Therefore, confidence and trust are key to the rebuild and recovery efforts of the aerospace sector. For more information, guidance and support materials as you navigate the next phase of recovery, please visit our dedicated aerospace web web pages, bsigroup.com, where you will find lots of useful information.